not trouble or peril, but when you are incapacitated or weaker or vulnerable, that's the word I'm trying to use, vulnerable. And what happens if someone takes advantage of you while you're vulnerable? Right. Because that's a scary thing to think about. a scary thing to think about, which is, again, why I think this book is so utterly terrifying, because... This could happen. Oh yes! Like, like legitimately, this could happen to me, you, the next guy down the road. This could legitimately happen. Welcome to First Time Through. New eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Today we're going to talk about part three of misery. And Paul's going to fall deeper into misery. Get it from the, in the. All right, so today on 30 Second Recap, we're going to talk about misery for the third time again again. So, today Paul is going to be forced to rewrite his own work as Annie goes from dedicated listener to merciless editor. We're going to then look at Steve and Paul's creative process. We're going to look at disassociation and escapism and how that relates into an artist's work. We're going to really, really dig deep and analyze my bad jokes, look at how smart Kim is, and possibly do it all together. I'll give you a hug at the end. So thank you for joining us, and let's go. Section two. Uh, part two. I feel like it's really important just to talk about, like we were saying, the bridge into it. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, one, like, really cool little bit of foreshadowing is that, like, Paul Sheldon's last thoughts before he falls unconscious at the end of part one are tracks. He thought, did I leave tracks? Did I? Then he falls unconscious. Next time he woke up, it was 14 hours later, and it was snowing outside. So it's like, and I think like what's really pretty about snowing is just it gives you a sense of calm. Like every time I've ever woken up throughout my entire, you know, long, long life, (laughs) my incredibly, my incredibly long, long, long 28, 27 years, no, 28 by the time this comes out. Oh, happy birthday past me. Um, I, I, just every time I've woken up to snow, it's a sense of like really calm, fulfilling. Like, yeah. but I also grew up in Michigan, so it was often right. Well, and around here in Southern Indiana, snow wasn't frequent. But I agree. When you wake up to fresh fallen snow or actively falling snow, it's so peaceful because the sounds are dampened mm-hmm. and and everything looks so clean. And even though you know it's not under that snow, it looks so clean and peaceful and. And so, yeah, I think that that it's important to know that when he woke up again, that it was almost like a reset. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, you did all of these things, but now the tracks are covered. The snow has come. It has right. just like destroyed all of the evidence. Don't worry, buddy. It's going to be fine. Right. Really great. lulls you into that sense of like... This is normal. Fall, yeah, that normalcy. A sense of normalcy almost. He's just like wakes up and he's like, oh, it's just a regular day. I didn't just like risk my life to get pain pills. <laughs> like that didn't happen. Right. And like very, really lulls the reader into a sense of uh, serenity. Serenity. Ooh, look at that. That was good. Like that felt prepared. Like you've been mm-hmm. waiting to say that. I that, have that was been. that was good. <laughs> Kim. Um, but also, I think it's really interesting that it immediately starts like it doesn't go into like talking more about Paul or anything. It just goes right into like here's an excerpt from the book, and it's not just an excerpt. It's the first six chapters of the book, of, and of the low book key, that he is being forced to write. On a typewriter that doesn't have an N. And in some... case you're curious, N is the second most letter used in the English language. If I'm being honest, if I, uh, is it really? The it second is. most? Oh man, that is, uh, 
Oof, that would be frustrating to say the least. Right? What's the first most? Is it S? E. E. Hmm. Ah, yes. It is E. It says that in the book literally later. I, I've read this book also, I'd like to point out. <laughs> um, but I actually looked that up to make sure that that was actually still valid, and it is. I mean, yeah, words do change a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm honestly surprised it's not S. Yeah, because I feel like think. that would be the like. I think S is probably the third. I think it is the third. Like it says, I'd have to the, look that up to be sure, but I would say that yes, probably S is the third, followed by maybe T. I mean, you know, if, if you watch Wheel of Fortune, R S T L N E. R S T L N E. R S T L N E. Those are the ones. Um, and then you solve. And if and you can't you solve. solve, you're not good enough to be on Wheel of Fortune. How'd you get there? I can take your spot. <laughs> um, but anyways, I think it's interesting. What I was going to say, though, is that uh, if I hadn't been, like, reading this book for analytical reasons, I would straight up skip these three, four pages. Because it is boring. It is, like, not even good romance writing. It's just like, ah, I'm churning this out so I don't get murdered writing. Right. I think that that's obviously the point of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I kind of think that I'm and, – and here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Team Annie for just a minute – he writes this and gives it to her and she comes back and she's like, nope, nope, you're going to have to do that again because it's not right. I really like the one line, though, in the manuscript where it says, ooh, girl, she told herself as she hurried down the hall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, like, oh, wow, like that's 1800s right <laughs> there. You really nailed it, Paul Sheldon. <laughs> that's writer's talent. Uh, um... But no, it is good too. Cause it, I think it also like really shows an artist how much an audience member can connect to a piece of material, and not only connect to it, but understand like your artistic intentions. Like to the point where Annie is able to tell when he's not putting artistic intention behind his work. To the point where she's able to tell, like, ah, you're just you're faking this. Right. This isn't real. Like you don't actually care about doing this for me. Like after everything I've done for you, you're still you're not even gonna try like for right. me. Yeah, I think, and that's the like <laughs> oof like thing. Yeah, this is where it starts to really become about like after everything I've done for you. Right, and I think that like it's all that whole gaslighting. Hey everyone, it's Kim. In my new segment Kim Central Facts, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what's happening in Stephen King's real world outside of the book and how it affects what's going on in the book world. All right, go ahead and explain to me everything they're talking about. So part of the inspiration for Misery is the fact that there are these crazy people out there. Um, For example, Mark David Chapman, who murdered John Lennon later, asked Stephen King for an autograph and a picture. King obliged later realizing the person who described himself as my number one fan was in fact the man who killed John Lennon. And his secretary reports that Stephen King fans look to Steve for everything, including advice and money. Some of their intrusions are, as she puts it, just crazy stuff. In fact, says that King once received a box with the bones and hair of several dead kittens. Oh, damn. 
<laughs> oh, that's awesome. So you can see why he might have written a book about a crazy fan. Yeah, that's Just very it. <laughs> relatable. Not to me, but like this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, that's really cool, actually. It's not right. He's phoning it in, and she knows it. Mm -hmm. And she's going to hold him accountable, too. She's going to make him fix it. And that's, I think, when he realizes that she is way smarter than he has given her credit for. I see what you're saying. Her comprehension. Steve has really downplayed how much she's able to process up to this yes. moment. And she is able to observe and process information very well. Very, yes. very well. To the point that, like, she's so good at it that she is actually able to hide it. And you don't get good, like, able to hide something until you're, like, really good at it, right? Exactly. She is his constant reader. She, Annie, mm -hmm. is Paul's constant reader. And... She's constant gonna, reader had just become merciless editor. Yes. Yes. And, you know, that's scary. I'm pretty sure that nobody, Steve, I don't think you want me coming back and saying, no, 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 that doesn't match up. You're going to have to fix that. Nobody wants that. They want somebody that they know and trust and who has been there and not, not. in a captive situation. Yes. Um, so she sets him straight and guess what that first like six chapters of the book that he just wrote now it's trash he gets to start all over I like it personally a lot because like Annie talks about how like you can't just say things didn't happen if you like publish it like if that if you put that story out in the world and like this is what happened to your character and I have this problem with a lot of comic books honestly a lot of the time and it's just like they're like this thing happened to this character and then, like, 20 issues later, they're like, actually, no, that was just a misprint. Gotcha. It didn't happen like that. This is actually what happened. And it's like, I like that Annie is sitting there and just, like, saying, like, no, don't take the easy way out. Like, if right. you chose to do this in the story, like, you know, undo it in the story. Make it make sense in those terms, in that world. Yeah. I think, that like, if nothing else, like, maybe that's a good challenge for Paul as a writer. Right. I think that's probably, like, really what, like, probably gets him so into this novel is that, like, it's a challenge on like any other novel that he's ever had to do before. What, for any many number of reasons. circumstances. But yeah, literarily. Yeah, yeah. Literar yeah. Literarily. Literally. No, I'm trying to literary. say literally and literary in the same word. Literarily. It was a real forced pun for me, but it was good. So, yeah, so she talks about the chapter play movies that she saw as a kid with her brother and time to and bring childhood trauma into the exactly, equation exactly exactly and and this is really kind of the first time that you get a, an insight into young annie the nice thing about the chapter plays is it really it dates Annie a little bit too. It does, and it really yeah, it like gives you an idea of how and, old she is. And even if you don't know what a chapter play is, when Paul says, "Ah, that's like a little before my time," you know that like whatever it is is like she's like significantly older than Paul at that point. Mm -hmm. Maybe not significantly, but at least 15, 20 years, like oh, old yeah. enough to have memories and to process and to be able to go do things on her own. 
right. which is usually not six or seven, like, you know? Well, I mean, it isn't an hour day and age, But, I mean, 40 but and 50 is, time, like, a wild time. Exactly. There was you know, no cell phones. There was no cell phones, and, you know, the kids went out in the morning and came home at dinner time. You know, be home before the streetlights come on. Um, um, but, yeah, so we get an insight into that uh, cultural difference. Cultural difference, age difference, the way that they're going to, like, see a story. You know, Paul's going to see a whole full-fledged story. He's going to see the idea of it and everything coming into life. And Annie's just going to see the segments of it. She's going to see how it develops day by day. And I think that that's, like, you know, it really shows that she just has no foresight. Like, like, in, like, general day-to-day things. Which is wild because, like, she shows later that she has some foresight when it comes to things that, like, really affect her. Right. But then, like, she also has no foresight when it comes to, like, social cues, like, whatsoever. Right. She has no foresight when it comes to, like, her own choices or actions, like, but she knows how to protect herself. Exactly. So she has the foresight to protect herself. She's got a survival instinct that is well honed. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's only because she's never had the foresight before she makes a stupid choice. Exactly. She's had to clean up messes. She doesn't so. have that awareness, and that's what makes her terrifying to me. Yeah. Is that, yeah. like, she will always find it someone else's fault, and then she will take it out on that person. Yeah. And it just is unfortunate that it's Paul there. Yeah. Also, we haven't talked about how Annie goes catatonic randomly. Right? Like, where she will just, just like, like... switches off. Just, yeah. Which is, like... Have you ever disassociated before in, like, life? Like, just, um, like, without even really thinking about it, you're just, like, zoned out and thinking about something else? Yeah, and I mean, but... I've never like done it in the middle of a sentence. sentence. Yeah, that's wild. Right, that like, was weird. I will sit there and, and just kind of zone out when I'm not really having anything to focus on. But if I'm having a conversation or if I'm, like, actively doing something, I'm not zoning out, but, like... She I really love the way Steve describes it too, because it's it's really similar to what he does with Paul Sheldon's like um, stream of consciousness writing. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll just be like Annie's like, yeah, and then this thing happened, and then all of a sudden in the writing, he's just like, and then she she just turned off. She and then right. she turned off and dropped, and then for like literally, and you can feel the tension in Paul when he's like, and then I sat there for five minutes staring at her because I was scared that if I moved, she would stab me. Right. Or, like, whatever it is, because it's like... It was the first time this happened in some days. He wondered uneasily if it meant she was slipping into the lower part of her cycle. I mean, we don't know how much time has passed, but it's still snowing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it can't have been... We knew it was the end of February-ish. Yeah, we knew it was the end of February-ish, and it's still snowing. So, I mean... And they're high not- up in the mountains of Colorado, though. And so, even it, like, so, I mean, it's probably been... At month? least a month. I, I'm thinking at least a minimum two weeks. Uh, yes, minimum. a week on like IV and everything. But he's already got, got consciousness enough insight and stuff. into her of knowing. Oh my God, she's uh, cycling she's cycle. again. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, scary. It's really scary how much you can get to know somebody in a real short amount of time when you're that confined. With that them. confined with them, yeah. So she talks about a very specific thing with the no breaks chapter, and that. The rocket man didn't have any brakes, and they welded all the car doors shut. And then the next week, he was just, he'd gotten out of the car and was alive. And she's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not how that works. And it, and he had done the same thing with bringing Misery back. He's like, oh, the doctor made it. Well, no, 
in the book that he had already published that she read, the doctor didn't make it. So now he has to figure out how to bring Misery back from the dead in a way that Annie's going to believe. So she doesn't kill him. He knows. He knows what's happening. He's he's with it. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And she gets mad later, too, like at the end of this, because he's just like, I don't really think that, like, that's a cheat, Annie. I don't think that that's, like, something that you should be upset about. And she yells. Screams at Like, no, they cheated me out of that story. Do you understand that? And she, like, screams at him and grabs his robe and, like, pulls him in and, like, shakes him. Mm -hmm. To, like, really make sure he understands that, like, that story was everything to me and they took it away from me. Right. And I think that, like, if nothing else, very piece of metafiction has got to be here that, like, there are people in Steve's life that take his work far too close to heart. Like, not to, like, say it in a negative way, but there are prob- there's got to be people that are like, this book was written for me, and I need to find Steve, and I need to tell him that I'm so happy he wrote this book for me right. because it's good. Thank because, you, Steve. Yes, exactly. And it's like, it's really great that you find that much meaning in someone's art. Very unlikely that they wrote it for you, a person they don't know. Right, but it's cool that it, you connect with it. That's what's really cool about art is that like people are able to do any kind of connection with it. That's what makes art special. Art is when it makes you feel. Like that's my definition for art, at Absolutely. least. Absolutely. And so, Absolutely. I just think it's interesting, and I really feel like this is where it starts to get a little bit of metaphor. In. Like, I mean, the whole thing has been very meta. But like, this but, is where like he's. I feel like this is where it starts to be a little bit more personal. Well, and the way know, that she talks to him about his own stories. And again. This may be for kind of the summary at the end, but with what's going on outside of the book in Steve's life, I feel like that this is forcing him to think through all of his things because, you know, cocaine. Yeah. He is strung out when he is writing this. So continuity errors and weird things are going to happen when you are not fully in your correct brain because you are strung out and he is strung out when he is And it's kind of like this is him telling himself that like if you're going to waste your time like being strung out and writing inconsistencies don't fucking bother. Don't fucking bother. And you know it just makes me I, I really think that that Annie is a metaphor for the cocaine. Annie is his addiction. I was going to say it'd be writing. I would say writing is yeah, his addiction but, at the end. But, but I don't. I also, think. I think he is addicted. But definitely. This is definitely a metaphor to, for addiction. Definitely, I agreed with that. I was going to say if he's addicted to Annie, he's not addicted to Annie so much as the power of it. Yes. And I think that like with that though, what would really like sell your metaphor about Annie being an addiction for the cocaine and like honestly maybe is that. A cocaine addiction is filled with ups and downs. Absolutely. And the relationship with Annie is a lot, a lot of ups and, and downs. downs. And like Absolutely. very like... And, and hmm. let's be real. A cocaine addiction can kill you. Oh, yeah. And like constantly, but you're still flirting you know, with and it and asking it and being and, nice to it. Right. And like, Absolutely. But you gotta have it. Yeah. Hmm. But you gotta have it. That is, that is a good one, dude. That's really good. Yeah. So, anyway. Strung out. Inconsistency. Do you think that if that is something that is in that, do you think Steve did that consciously or subconsciously? I, I don't know that it was consciously. I don't know that right? it was actually. Uh, do you think, because like, it's like, that's a choice of saying, like, someone's aware enough to, like, 
tell themselves subcon like consciously like hey you have a drug problem and like let's we're gonna write about it through a third person character absolutely yeah I don't know that it I don't know that it necessarily started intentionally but I know that very likely that somebody else pointed it out to him I yeah 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 because I also know that at the end of this writing that the at the end of writing this and the Tommyknockers there was an intervention his family came to him and was like dude you're killing yourself so, you know, I, I don't know that he knew it when he was actively writing this, but he probably did by the time he was editing. Okay. That's, uh, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, so. No. I don't know. And I see that now. The first time I read that, I didn't know, the first time I read this, I didn't know that, and I didn't see that. But now, knowing what I know, I'm like, oh. Oof. <laughs> wow. No, it's interesting, too. It's also interesting, wow. too, how, like, I think it is interesting how you can learn a bunch of things and then, like, not actually be thinking about doing those things, but subconsciously do them very well. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously, Stephen King had learned about symbolism and, like, how to create a metaphor and, like, how to, like, illustrate, like, different things through different things and, like... He, if he didn't mean to, like, make her... Uh, right, if this, it wasn't intentional. It was very, very, very well dubbed subconsciously. I think yeah. it's funny also how you were immediately able to convince me of that in, like, 30 seconds. Because, like, how well it fits, too. Yeah, like, it's it really, absolutely. Like, it's a good... I mean, and I think that because, I mean, let's be real, a lot of people will struggle with addiction. And it's things that we've been around. And it's things that we are familiar with. And so you can look at that and go, ooh, yeah, that's a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I, I think that that our life experiences have made it so that I could convince you of that as well. True. So very true. You know. Um. Well, I also think too. It just makes me think about like Annie gives him the power to do the thing he loves, which is right, and Absolutely. so he probably thinks like really probably like connects like if I'm able to do a line of coke, I can all of a sudden write fourteen pages. So like. Right. You know, it just makes me have those, like, small little Absolutely. connections, too. Absolutely. But then at the same time, it's like, ah, but then if I take too much Coke, I'll hobble myself. Exactly. And then, yeah, like, maybe. I have Coke brain, and I can't write for the next day. Here's when he starts realizing, like, all right, so now i got to start planning to stop taking so many drugs if I'm going to get out of here. But, yeah, he does. He starts talking about, i gotta, I got to stop this. Also, like, I think that's really interesting. Like, so he said, uh, Steve writes, well, you better start thinking about all the dope we are taking, Paul. You better start thinking about it very seriously. He decided suddenly on the spur of the moment that he would stop, start dodging some of the medication. And then we have a four sentence paragraph about how he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then there's literally the rest of this entire page is just the far more sensible part disagreed. And he is like, here's the thing. We probably actually need to keep taking the drugs because of all of these reasons. Mm -hmm. And it's just fun how, like, your brain can all of a sudden be like, that thing you like? Oh, no, here's 40 reasons why you actually literally cannot stop doing it. Right, right. You, you know, you're, it's amazing how the human brain will rationalize anything. Justify anything. Anything. And I think, like, what's really fun about these next few pages is it really gives you, a, like, a little bit of a peek into, like, Steve's, like, creative process. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, like, this has to be, like, very much, like, in like how he creates something yeah. and I really like the 
uh, later on in this part, he just has a random bolt of inspiration at like three in the morning after a dream wakes up and he's like, I need a pen and a paper immediately. Right. I'm like, I've had moments like that where I'm just like, I know I'm about, literally about to fall back asleep and forget something. So I just write it down. And then like, I don't understand what I wrote down, but like I tried. Give me a, give me a pen and paper. I need to remember. Remember. This. I can't remember anything when yeah, I'm sleeping, no. dude. Once, once I go Oof. back to sleep, forget it. I yep, might as it's well. Done but, for. but you know, it's, it's. Did he? Can he? Will he? Can he? You know? Will he? So, like, honestly, probably. I'm thinking, like, in that situation, why would you, though? Like, right? it's the only little bit of relief, like, in that, like, in your captivity. Absolutely. You know, it, it's, and it's got to be an escape for him. Mm-hmm. You know, but. So we so, get into the next part. Um, I think what's really fun here is it introduces the game Can You? Which yeah. he talks about, and I think that that ends up really becoming such an important driving force in him because it starts to it comes it stops becoming just about the story at some point, and it becomes about his own life. And right. it's like you're in this situation. Can you do this to survive? Can you do this to survive? Can you? Can you? Yeah, and it just constantly becomes the question of like, can you, Paul? Like, can you? And I think that the way that they present it as a children's game to become this major theme throughout. And I think what's really fun about it is it grows like a child as a theme throughout yes, as well. Absolutely. So it's like mentioned a little bit and it's like, oh, it's just a little play game. It's like, ha ha ha, like, can I do it with the story? And then uh, Careless, Paul, Corrigan, Careless, Corrigan. Yeah, and then it goes, right. can you, for a real long time. And for it starts a real long time, you know, you really get this insight into how his brain is regressing in some ways. I mean, he I don't is, think he's regressing. I think he's starting to hide inside his own mind. Yeah, that's. And I so think instead that's of a like way of putting it, a I conversation that would like last like normally a couple of seconds in his head, he's purposefully elongating it to be these minute long conversations. It's a such escape. Right. It's it's dissociating like we're talking right. about. Instead right. of like being actively involved in like what's happening around you, you're choosing to disassociate and live in your head. Yeah. And like, good tactics. Like I mean, like everybody like does it like. All the time. It's hard not to, honestly. It is. It is. So, um, like, I think also, too, I think he feels a little guilty because, like, Annie called him out on it. And it's, like, not even, like, a little thing. Like, she was 100% right. She absolutely He knows right. it in his heart. And I think he just feels a little guilty that he was such a bad writer for a second. As an artist, I know that I'm in this really bad situation, but, like, I, I still should have tried my best to write this book. Right. Absolutely. And I think, like... You know, is that not more telling of an what an artist is than that right there? I, 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 don't <laughs> I should have put my craft above my health. You're right. I can't believe my legs are broken. I'm addicted to pain pills in this strange woman's house. And I just, I really phoned it in on that one, didn't I? My fault, Annie. My, <laughs> my bad. bad. So then, I mean, honestly, though, the way to- Paul talks about fast cars is some of the most pretentious, like, thinking I've ever watched or, like, ever read before. But, like, I'd be lying if I didn't think, like, some similar things about the things I've created. Oh, sure. It's like, Absolutely. I don't know. There gets to be a point where you just want to be so confident and, like, full of it because you really want it to be successful. So, like, you just you buy into it yourself. So that way, like. Because if, if you don't believe it, you can't you sell can't it. You can't sell that. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, chapter five. We get to chapter five. And. You know, he wakes up in horrible pain, and he can hear Annie washing the dishes. And he said, she usually sang when she was doing her chores. Today, she was not singing. 
another bad sign. Here's a special weather bulletin for the residents of Sheldon County. A tornado watch is in effect until 5 p.m. tonight. I repeat, a tornado watch. He knows because she's out of her routine that she's in a bad place in her cycle. That makes sense, too. Like, now that you're saying it, like, I'm really putting emphasis on the weather. Like, if she's lived on this farm for so long and, like, the happy days are the days where she gets to wake up and do physical activity, which is very relatable content. Absolutely. Like, the days where I actually wake up and go for my run or walk or, like, whatever, I feel pretty good on those days. And I eat breakfast, I'm like, wow, like... Is this what this feels like? But then the days when I'm down, I'm like, oh, grumpy man all day. Right. So, like, to a much more extreme, like, yeah, you're right. Like, if she doesn't get a chance to go out and feed her pigs and talk to Misery and, like, check the cow the, and, the, like... The pig's name is Misery. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, I, if, I don't we know if we've that. mentioned that at all at yeah, any point. the pig's point. name is Misery. Suey. <laughs> uh, we, we did talk about the pig noises. We did talk about them because they're weird and, like, how they write yeah. them, too, is, Oof. like... You know, he probably, he really workshopped a couple of ways on how to write that because it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. You know, mm-hmm. the, the visualization of him talking about her, talking about the pig. Ooh, it's scary. Okay. So he knows, he knows she's in a dark place because she's out of her routine. Is it because it snowed for two days and they're snowed in? And if something happens, she, she knows that they're snowed in. Is it? I mean, is it just where she is? In and her I think cycle? that's one of the scariest things too. And it's like even after like you finish the novel, you never learn what her triggers are. Right. You never know like the things that do set her off or the things. And like I, I think you're like very right. It's definitely like Stephen King makes it a point to be like when she's not in her routine, mm-hmm. it really like is not good. And I think that like that must be something that she has at the laughing place. She must have a really strict routine that she does for herself. She's like, I wake up at this time, and then I go here and I yell at the river, and then I go here and I skip stones or like whatever it is. Whatever that it she is, does. whatever it is, she it it gives her a place to go and and reset mm-hmm. whatever her normal is, and then she can come back and and cope for a while. Yeah, um, and I mean like that's a good like. That is a good coping mechanism. The ability to escape and go and, like, reset yourself and, like, work on yourself and, like, then come back to the situation anew. Really good coping mechanism. The rest of it's not. Like, yeah. The rest of it I cannot recommend to anyone. No. Um, So I think what's really fun, though, too, is it's, like, you know, the first, like, part of it, if you would have noticed those things about Annie, I think you would have hyperfixated on them. And he would have just been like, what does that mean for me? What's going to happen to me? Like, what do I have to do now to keep myself safe? Like, blah, 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 blah. But instead, he mentions it for one paragraph. And then the next paragraph is immediately like, I should focus on misery. And then it's an entire chapter on misery again. Right. And so, again, and I'm going to point this out again, because it's something that we talked about a lot in the first section. The chapters are a lot longer. Oh, my God. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned it now, more, too. But like, he's super he's conscious super now. super conscious. He's, he's lucid. He has aware. memories. Exactly. So... It really makes me feel like uh, one of the nice things about the chapter structure in this one, and I feel like that's the thing I'm interested to see how it's going to work in other novels, but like it almost reads like a, a little bit of a journal. Yes. So like, I think Absolutely. that's fun. And I really feel like this would have been a really fun book to put in a first person's perspective as a journal, like as a found journal that like Paul kept secretly or something. Yeah. That would have been a fun little like, been an interesting like, way twist. to do it. But also like not very believable because I mean right. like 
you're not going to write out about like some of those things. Exactly. So this, so it needs a narration. Right. It it absolutely needs a narration because you know where was he going to hide a journal while she was? Yeah, exactly. Especially one that she wasn't going to find after she finds everything Everything like later. Yes. Um. So okay, he escapes. He finds out Annie's not in the cycle. Escapes into it. Um, and escapes into the point where, like, this is the first time he doesn't even notice Annie coming into the room, he says. And I think that's really important, is, like, you have to be very, very escaped to not notice a threat that you've been so worried about for a month. Absolutely. Like, the point that, like, you haven't slept, like, you peed into, like, like, all of the things that this person has done to you, to not notice them as God, that's, it's wild. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and where, I mean, gosh, how far down in your brain do you have to be? To, like, actively not be aware of the only one person in the house Yeah, when, you. th- when you've only got one, one threat, one thing that you have to be super aware of, and you are so far into your brain that you don't even notice that threat. That's yeah. a good escape. Yeah, I mean... That I, I really think that that's just a huge insight into how much escapism this actually writing this novel is for him. It, it's it's a self preservation thing, but it's also an escape. It's the only thing that's like bringing him any happiness right now. Right, and I think that that's the thing too that like going into this Stephen King like cocaine metaphor is that well, I'm sure that there were very dark moments where writing was one of the only like sanctuaries and safe havens he had yeah where he could truly be like i know that i'm strung out i know i'm not feeling well i know everything's going really poorly right now but if i just sit down and i work on this book like i'll be able to at least get myself out of this mindset so like he's like i'll throw myself into my work like i'll escape into this novel i'll escape into like paul i think that's one thing too then like it makes a lot of sense to me that he writes characters that have such hard problems to overcome it's a lot easier to like live through your life when you know that there are people that have way worse problems to overcome out there. Absolutely. Especially if you're living eight hours a day in that person's head. Yes. Like, you know, like, yeah, my cocaine addiction isn't that bad. Like, have you heard of this I mean, guy look, named Paul Sheldon? Right. He's got I mean, two he's broken got... legs. He's being held prisoner and he has a cocaine addiction. Whoa, it could be way worse. Right, right. So I mean, so yep. So it's all good because I can still. I'm I'm functioning. Mm-hmm. I'm not an addict. I'm functioning. I'm not trapped I'm still anywhere. Working. I'm still going I'm still out. Working. I'm still, I'm still doing, doing things. things. I can still do my job. My you know I can still provide for my family. So I'm not that bad. Oh, I wonder if subconsciously he did feel trapped though, like he was on a leash, like he had broken legs and he couldn't really go that far. Yeah. Hmm. And yeah. Oh, because, Steve, you know, I'm sorry, buddy. Do you need a hug? I'm sure you right? you probably better probably doing real good now based on your Twitter. Right. You're, Steve, sidebar, your Twitter is fantastic. Please continue doing everything you do on Twitter. It is a blessing to all of us. Makes me smile. It's a good Twitter page, man. So then so, we get into Misery's Return. Eight chapters Take of misery. Two, the one where he got it right. It's really like again, I would not buy this novel. Yeah, I would it's, be, not, it's not my I would read the first page and, and like, do, you know. I don't know, think this is for me. Nah. Like, it's a chunk of this book. It is. So it's got to be important enough that he adds it in. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing, too, is it's like, while he's writing this chunk of book, we have no idea how much time actually passes. Exactly. 
and they never like really talk about it anymore. And then the calendar's never flipped, and he's constantly talking about maybe she flipped the calendar. I don't even know. I've tried to keep track. I think it's my birthday. Right. Like, and he really loses track of time in this stretch. And I think that that's kind of like what Steven's trying to illustrate there. Yeah. yeah. It's like he gets so lost writing so much that like he doesn't even know anymore. Right. Like that, this is all he has now. Right. This is this is his new normal. And it's okay. I mean. I don't know. Writing's fine. I mean... I mean, it's... It, and I think that... I mean, we talked about it. I, I kind of want to know how the book ends. I want to know like, what happens the, to Misery. Okay, so, like, here's the thing, though. Even though it's not though, necessarily it's like, my normal thing, it's engaging enough that I want to know... I just want to know, ends. like, what the plot line is. Right. And, like, why... What is the jump from them living in England to her... To all three of them... <sighs> They have to go to Africa to go to this bee idol. I do think that, like, it's interesting that he takes her name out of it. Because mm-hmm. I think that, like, or I think her name's in it, but she's not a character anymore. Right. So, like, in the first draft, she had a line. But in this draft, he, like, I feel like, I think he realized it was kind of hokey. Mm-hmm. And it was, like. <laughs> and it was more ends to fill in. Yeah, true facts, and he didn't want to fill that in. I mean... Annie Wilkes, that's two ends per, like, time he mentions her. Absolutely. I mean, he literally says that's why he stops, like, saying the doctor's name, and he just starts saying the doctor. Right. Because there was way too many ends in that right. guy's and name. Right, and he changed what he intended for the baby's name to be, because yep. it had an N in it. So, you know, he knows that it, it, he, it's, it's a focus thing. He's got to make this work, and he's got to make it work so that it's not overwhelming. The novel that he was writing stops when he gets to the writer's block section that he has. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing he's trying, like, he's struggling, like, is why is she alive? Like, right. that's the thing he's struggling to, like, come through with and, like, have that explanation. So it's like, it yeah. makes sense that, like, he's been so enraptured in, like, the idea of, like, okay, if I'm going to bring her back to life, like, let's get the setting right. So he sets it up, and now he's like, okay, she's back, like, how? And now he's like, uh, and then in the well, first like thing, Annie gives him the idea. The first thing in chapter seven is like he fi- he notices Annie for the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. So it's like ah, he he he's at a block. He's figured out that he wants to do this. He wants to write the book now. He wants to write the book. I think that that's something too. Like you know, having that want to like go on. I was gonna say in the middle of this chapter is where she also gives him the bee idea. That's where that originates. Yeah, she's like one in hundred or one in twelve people like goes catatonic, yeah. Right. And then at the very end he notices the black marks on yeah. the doorway. On his eyes dropped, then widened. On either side of the doorway, about eight inches up from the floor, was a black mark. They had been left where he had to force his wheelchair through the door. So Right before that last page, we had what? This is probably like, oof. This is a long part, actually. Now that like mm-hmm. I'm really going back, because it started on 102, and we're on 150 now. We've had almost 50 pages uninterrupted without thinking about those marks, mm-hmm. like writing, escaping, thinking about other stuff, thinking about writing, the creative process, getting that normalcy back, and then all of a sudden, it's all threatened in one moment by seeing a little black rubber mark on the doorway. Right. Did I leave track? And we have no idea how long this has been. Well, like, right, it's right. It's been at least a couple of days. Like, he's been he's written almost nine chapters of his new novel. He's probably been, like... Twice. 
twice. He's rewritten it twice. It's been a couple of weeks, I'm going to wager. Uh, yeah. Paul managed very little during the rest of the day. Well, of course not. All of that fear and anxiety just came flooding back that you right. missed. Like, Absolutely. It's regressing. Been yep. Paul sits here for the rest of like maybe like 70 chapters staring at those black marks constantly. What is so fascinating. And Annie is just so being so nice right now too. Mm-hmm. She's just so like I think she's just so excited about like it really seems like she's actually getting what she wants for the first time in life. Yeah, that's she's like, how it feels. She's like she had this plan where she was like I'm going to rescue him. I think that's how it's. She's always phrased it in her mind. There's never been a kidnap or Absolutely a hostage. No, it has no. been rescue. rescue. I'm going to rescue him. I'm, I'm going to heal him, him, and he is going to repay me by writing me a book. Absolutely. And it won't be like no one will like force anyone to do anything. It'll just be like that's what, that's what naturally will happen. Right. That's what he's going to give me back for saving his life. And she's. I think like she's finally like ah, it's happening. Like mm-hmm. the universe is probably is finally looking out for good old Annie Wilkes. Yep. And then, dun, 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 chapter eight. The taxes come. Yep. Uh, funny to me that, like, the thing that, like, will always stop a serial killer, a uh, murderer, uh, and that's the same thing. A spree. A, a spree. Anything. Criminal. A, 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 yeah, anything. Like, a bad person. Death and taxes. Taxes. Taxes <laughs> Death will get you. Taxes will get you every <laughs> It's time. like, no matter what, like, you live out I mean, in the middle even, of a fucking... Even Al Capone went to jail for tax fraud. <laughs> I think it's just funny, too, because it's like, he's been so disconnected from the world, and he's so scared of everything because he doesn't know where he is. He's alone. He's just scared. But the tax guy still knows exactly where she is, comes and finds her, and she gives her an envelope. So it's like... No matter how alone and like secluded and away from everything you are, the government knows where you are, and they'll right. come ask you for money <laughs> at all times, anytime, day or night, snow. Again, mm-hmm. the real enemy is the American mental health system, and I think that that's just another little thing in there too. It's it's like you know, Stephen King probably like is sitting here trying to focus on himself and like be alone and like work on his things. He has cocaine running around in his house, like destroying things and like making him binge eat and everything. And you just got guys in suits asking you for money every other day. Like go away. Like I'm trying to figure out how to like not be crazy over right. here. Yep. yep. Um disappeared. Okay. And then like it's immediately just her like shouting at him like shut up. Shoves the rag into his mouth. Handcuffs him to the bed. Yeah. Be quiet, because there's someone in authority. And then he calls him Mr. Rancho Grande. And he just pulls out a paper, goes to hand it to him, and then it's just Annie losing her mind on this man. Yeah. For three and a half pages. Yeah. And then as, like, he gives her the envelope and she goes to run away, she yells one of my favorite lines. Little dogs go to the bathroom all over big wheels. What do you think of that, huh? She kicks the uh, car. Yeah. As it, like, leaves. And she's just like, oh, get so angry. But the very first line of the very next chapter, chapter nine, is, but this time she didn't take her anger out on him. Can you imagine the relief he felt? And it's got to be, and he knows why now. Right. He's giving her something that she wants. Right. Like, and it's going according to her plan. So if he can buy into her plan, like, you know, maybe it'll, like, he'll be safer. Um, 
So he still has the rag in his mouth. She comes in and she's talking to him. And he starts dry heaving while she's explaining about how this, uh, this what does she call him, this lawyer uh, just came in and gave her a 10% tax increase. And then she's in arrear. She's in arrears. Uh, they have a lien on the property. And that she has an overdue quarterly payment mm-hmm. um, for five hundred and six dollars and sixteen cents. Seventeen cents. Seventeen cents. Don't you dare cents. forget about the seventeen That's right. cents. Don't I'm you sorry, dare I messed it up. About the seventeen cents. Um, and during all of this, Paul just starts driving. He's about to mm-hmm. throw up and just throw up everywhere. And she starts like calling him a baby and just like I'm going through all this real stuff, and you're just trying to like not throw up. Like, come on. Um, and then she takes the rag out doesn't give him pain pills or water or anything and immediately just starts asking him about the things she doesn't understand that mm-hmm. just happened. Yep. And I think that that's very telling that this lawyer obviously showed up and started saying words that she didn't understand and went ballistic on him yep. and like just went off on him and like threw him off her land essentially. I wonder if it's when she's confronted with things she don't under- she doesn't understand. That's her trigger. That is definitely one of her It's triggers. a trigger. So it I'm just curious if, like, trigger. we go back to the, like, time when she went to the, like, laughing place. Like, it was when Misery died. It was when Misery died. And she died. was triggered by something she didn't understand. Yeah. Because she was, like, she just doesn't understand, like, why would you kill this woman? Right. And, like, that's how she sees it is, like, right. Paul Sheldon you, murdered this girl. Why would you murder my friend? Yeah. Not just, just, not just anybody, but... A friend. And, like, and, as a, and, you know, in case we haven't made that clear, Annie Wilkes does not have a whole lot of friends. Oh, you know, so, she has... And by um, not a whole lot, I mean none. She has no zero, friends. Zero friends. Like, the, every single person that she talks about throughout the entire novel, she does nothing but slander and make them sound terrible. Right. So, of course, she doesn't have anyone that she wants to, like, protect or, like... Or not that she wants to protect, but that she wants to, like, be around. Right. So she has this fictional character that was written for her that now is dead. It's and hilarious. Boy, is she pissed. She's so mad. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that she doesn't buy the hardcover books. Like, to me, I don't know why that's so funny. It's like, ah, oh, I really love you, but not I'm enough not for the extra $11. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, now, I can tell you when I was younger, I only bought paperbacks because I was broke. That's but- yeah, that's different. You know, though. that's different. It's not because she's broke. And because she obviously isn't completely broke. She's independently wealthy enough to have this home and, and livestock and car and pay her bills. And and I think that's part of the reason why she loses her shit But so I think much this is the thing we're about to find out. Is she is not doing that, that well. Right. You know, that she finds out that she hasn't been keeping up the facade for mm-hmm. what, you know, something slipped. Something slipped, and it just makes you wonder how many cogs are missing in Annie's wheels. Like what? You know, this was obviously a slip. Why did this slip happen? And and you know, how many more slips are going to happen? Or and what how, has been slipping? What has that, like, already we just been don't slipping. see because exactly. we're so limited as an uh, like an audience to this one room. I think that's what's really terrifying about this too. To just add into that sense of unknown is like you know. We're so limited to this one room. Right. And it's like, it adds a lot of suspense. It's really good. Yeah. Um, so then we basically get into this part where Paul teaches Annie about taxes real quick. Yep. Uh, which is really funny because it's, you know, just like, can really go from like behemoth juggernaut anger to like 
misunderstood child just needing help. Yeah. Yeah, on like a dime. Yeah, it's so I mean and and again, it's it's scary and you know, it's gotta be scary from Paul's perspective because he doesn't know when the channel's gonna change. Yeah. Click, click. And he's just click. constantly there just, just like having to be uh, you on know, edge. What and not channel anxious. am I gonna get like, today? Am I gonna get, you know, um, childish, ignorant of the ways of the world, Annie? Am I going to get angry, Annie? Am I going to get, you know, gentle, caring, Annie? Am I? What am I going to get? What's going to happen when that key turns? I mean, the anxiety that that's got to build is just. Ugh. I mean, it gives me an ulcer just thinking about it. Annie, who eventually reveals that she is five hundred and sixteen dollars in debt to the state for a quarterly payment for uh, the lien on her house. And then we find out that Paul had $400 in his wallet Mm -hmm. and he tells her to take it and go pay it. And he does it to just manipulate her and use this power against her. All of a sudden he has a PowerPoint and he can do something. Mm -hmm. He can take a little bit of control. Right. What happens? And and he does. And he says, just, just, just take it. You know, I'd be dead if it wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. No, he knows. Oh, and this is the first spot that we know exactly when it is. We know oh, exactly it's... when it is. He said, this says they can't execute the lien unless the bill remains unpaid by March 25th. What's today? So he just tricked her into telling him exactly what day it was. Yeah, he gave her a connection. He, he, ma- he was he able to get a connection. to make a connection. Which is really good. today... Today is March 25th. So mm-hmm. now we know that we're six weeks into this experience. Yes. So, you know, now we know for sure where we are or when we are. When we are. When Which is important, are. too, because it, like, tells us, like, Paul's already noticed that his legs are feeling better and he can walk a little, like, not walk, like he can but move he can, a little like, bit. yeah. Right, right. I think what's really good about how Steve writes Annie during this section is how she hyperfixates mm-hmm. on the little details about it, specifically the 17 cents. Because to her, it's like every single one of those pennies just is so, it's bringing her down. It's ruining her day. It's like ruining her life to be like, not dramatic, but like that's how she feels that's in these moments. That's how she feels. And, and she like, knows. And, Paul and, seems to be like just dismissing part of it. But then, he, but then he plays on it. You know, if you pay it before they close, no lien. If people in town really do feel about the way you say they feel about you the way they you say they do and she says they hate me they are all against me she he's playing with like her insecurities absolutely he's playing with her insecurities there and she's reinforcing no no really they really really hate me Mm -hmm. do they hate her or does she just perceive it i don't know um you know honestly i I I feel like get to the rest of that that we'll know that yes they do in fact really hate her because they know that she got what she got away with that's the thing too i was like there's no one in that town that doesn't know she's dragon lady right so it's like uh dragon lady foreshadowing foreshadowing that has to be such a thing that weighs on her every day too Mm -hmm. that like changes her perception of like there's no one that's actually out there giving me a chance anymore because they think i'm this dragon lady right yeah no this is really interesting Annie Wilkes had her own interior set of rules. In her way, she was strangely prim. She had made him drink water from a floor bucket, 
had withheld his medication until he was in agony, had made him burn the only copy of his new novel, had handcuffed him and stuck a rag reeking of furniture polish in his mouth. But she would not take the money from his wallet. She brought it to him, the old scuffed Lord Buxton he had had since college, and put it in his hands. So this woman will do all of these terrible things but not take the money because Jesus wouldn't like that. Right. And I mean, like, probably yeah. not literally because Jesus wouldn't like that, but, like, because, like, that's what, like, her mother would have been like, no, honey, you know that's not a good thing to do. Right. Like, but all the ID was gone. So she's been in his wallet because the ID is gone. The she's smart. Gone. She has the ability to think after her consequences to protect herself. Yeah. She, in that moment, though, when she sees Paul's car there and the side of the road, there's no, like, if I just kidnapped this man, like, what could happen? It is just like, oh, man, a man? I'm going to kidnap him. Like, and that's a well, scary, and, scary person. But but a man, I'm going to kidnap him. But, you know, what if it had been you? you she know, probably wouldn't have kidnapped me. It, right? Well, I think she still would have kidnapped me because that's what she does what to the hiker. The, no, there's more to the hiker story. Oh, I no, because that's the artist that's lied that's to her the whole time. That's the artist that's lied to her the whole time. I feel like that what would end up being me, of, though, if we're being honest. Though, like, oh, no. What if it was one of her neighbors? Would she have... Oh, the Roydmans? I think she would have, like... Right, would she have, you know, pushed the car over? Would she have just called 911? I would think it would depend where she was rational? at in her cycle. Yeah. You know? And I also think it would also depend, like, if she needed anything. Right. I think that she's... Seemed to be smart enough that, like, if she needed something in those moments, like, right. when... But when she pulled this person out of, of their car and and took him to her house, she recognized who he was. Now, she may have done the exact same thing for somebody else, but I think she, she recognized house, him when she's in the car. Right, but when she got to her house, she'd have been like, you know, I brought him to my house because, you know, it's snowing and crazy and blizzard and all this but stuff. But in a couple of days, I'll take but him to the hospital. 911, call, the, call emergency, get help for this person. You know, this, I've done what I can, but now I need help to, you know, help Part this of me really thinks it would be really interesting. Maybe not. Who knows? I mean. No, I think you're knew, right. But she knew who he was. She knew, she knew for what sure. she had. She knew who she had. I think she, like, you know, especially, like, just after we find out how much she loves Paul Sheldon, there's no way she doesn't know who he looks like Absolutely. on sight. Absolutely. Like, Let's be real. If I ran across Stephen King laying in a ditch, I'd know who he was. Yeah, you would. <laughs> that impulsiveness that Annie has right there to not be able to stop herself from doing the thing that, even though she wants to do so badly, it's not a good choice. It's not. But she's going to do it anyway. Yeah. And I think that, like, that is what makes her so terrifying. Absolutely. I think that's what makes... Yeah. She gives him his wallet. He gets the money out of it. And it's like this instant flashback. You know, he's instantly in another place. He he can see himself. He just himself. has because it it's another tether to like what used to exist. Exactly to his former reality. And he gets so. he goes into this whole thing of like what his life used to be when there, he was like flirting with this little woman, and then mm-hmm. and it's so painful to be honest. This chapter because it's literally a page and a half long. Yeah, and it goes from him having this like in incredible like daydream almost of when he was flirting with this woman at the bank mm-hmm. to a pretty much like Annie like sexually assaulting him. Yeah. And a fun little twist. Yeah. Smelled something like the way he describes her breath Ooh. is just like so sad. Yeah. yeah. Like his stomach clenched when he smelled her breath. Oof. 
I think this is where she's really starting to like if it keeps going like this, if he's going to help me with taxes and stuff and I can just be there to help him like be his little writer assistant, like it'll be really good. This will right. be the perfect relationship for it'll us. It'll be perfect. Yeah. And I think that's what she's really like. Wow. Like I've never had somebody actually try to help me before. Like, thank you for the money. Thank you for helping me with the taxes. Thank you for figuring that out. And I think she's just so, she hasn't had anyone like that in so long that like she's just overwhelmed completely. Right. Right. And I think that that is that, the conclusions she jumps to from there are completely irrational, of course. Um, that, you know, what's next? <laughs> um, you know, now it's a relationship. She's helped him. He's helped her. There's there's more of a... It's a two-way street now. It's a two-way street. And, and up to this point... I mean, he is writing her this book, but that's self-preservation. Now it's he's giving her this gift. So there's it's it's like a different phase of a relationship. Man, this but, is like sorry, I was just starting to like read this one part and I remember this sentence the first time I read through it because I thought it was like, oh man, that's like a hmm, I didn't even think of that. You're right though. And he says, uh, in chapter eleven, he thought that the piece of bobby pins still somewhere inside the lock might screw him up, but it didn't. And like Stephen King is really good about putting innocuous sentences in the middle of like a paragraph and like you don't think anything of it but then you finish the book and you're like oh my god that sentence meant everything absolutely that, and like oh my that god, sentence right there is oh, it's so like, important and it's so well done that you don't even because it's foreshadowed it. from his perspective but it's so important and it's weirded so specifically yeah like and it's it, like it's, I it's, thought this was gonna bother me, then it didn't, and thought and you don't just think move on. About, right, you don't think yeah. about it again until right. So this book, he opens the dock. He like um, he Annie ends up leaving to go and pay the taxes, um, and so he opens the door and like the, I think the biggest thing is he wants her out of the house real quick, right? So that right. way he can clean those marks off the door to see like what he can do. Yeah, so he he cleans up the marks and, and cleans up the marks. Cleans up the marks cleans and then he's like, and then he decides. And then it's oh, and is the bumper of your car sticking out of the snow yet? Hmm. Twinkling and cheerily in the sun, just waiting for someone to come along and see it while you sit here wasting what may be your last chance. Wow. Be sure to like us on Facebook at First Time Through Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at First Time Through. You can even become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash first time through to get exclusive content and really fun communication. I can just cut that out, thankfully. Also, if you have any general concerns, questions, comments, or if you have your own little piece of Stephen King trivia, please, please email it to us at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you have to say. First Time Through is produced by Empty Theater Productions. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art. References for this from Bloom's Modern Critical Views. Updated edition, Stephen King. Edited and with an introduction by Harold Bloom.